years. He, uh, he's visited us, uh, he and Tiffany visited us in Egypt, and where else? And Turkey. But also, before they were married, Daryl visited us in Israel. We talked about that, Connie thought. I thought you said they were in Israel. Well, it was just Daryl. The reason I remember that, are you familiar with these, uh, these kits where you put furniture together, like Sawyer? Is that a name you know, right? And so we had a, sorry? It's like Ikea, but I thought it came from this part of the country. Anyway, we uh, got one for a television, and, uh, and I'm sort of challenged engineering-wise, and Daryl was there, so we're sitting there on the floor. And I like to say that Daryl and I put it together, but, yeah, it was mostly Daryl. <laughs> and uh, he needed me, though, to put the TV up on top. But uh, anyway, we're grateful uh, for the relationship we've had. And he's also gone with me to Indonesia, where uh, I've made 23 or 4 trips over the last several years uh, in Southeast Asia. That's the world's largest Muslim country. The uh, basic direction of our call has been to the Muslim world. Uh, but I reserve the right to witness to anybody, right? So I, I even talk to Arizonans about Jesus, and, and that's, that's a different culture. Trust me on that one. We've been there for, for eight years. It's kind of interesting. That's the longest we've ever lived anywhere. And I can remember there we were about two and a half and three years, and I started feeling kind of like, well, it's, I feel uneasy. Kind of goes, I know what's the matter with you. It's, it's time for you to move, but you're not going to move because we're not moving anymore. So I don't know. So we've been there for eight years, and uh, we moved there. Uh, the weather is, uh, I still complain. I'm sorry, I just don't like being 120 degrees, I'm just saying. But uh, our granddaughters, uh, uh, and their parents, of course, lived about 10, mi- about 10 miles from us. So uh, we were in Turkey, and, and Connie and the girls, Charlotte and Lily, were eight and five. And Connie said, I want to be based near my granddaughters. It was time for us to make a change. And I said, well, where do you go, right? That's the, got to go somewhere. I said, well, I want to be based with you. So, okay. <laughs> so we came uh, to um, Arizona. And so for the last eight years, we've continued the ministry. Actually, I started several years before that in terms of traveling uh, from that base. I'll tell you something. I do my best. I do my very best to be gone in June, July, August, and September. And you think that his schedule is busy. <laughs> yeah, we're out of it. We're out of I'm I'm out of, out of out of Egypt. It's kind of like Egypt. I'm out of Arizona uh, 75% of the time between now and the 23rd of September. I get goosebumps over that one, Randy. Hallelujah. You know, it's like, anyway, I feel the chill already, but uh, it's good to be here with you this evening. Um, you've heard from a Cornhusker. Now it's, your, now it's time to hear from a Jayhawk. All right. Huh? Thank you. No? That's not the state religion here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was born in Wichita because my dad was pastoring a church there. Um, and we left when I was a baby, so I wasn't too terribly influenced by southern Kansas, right? But anyway, uh, so I, I grew up in a, in a, in a pastor's home. <clears throat> and I have four sisters, and the next to youngest. And so my background was different counties. In some ways, I think it was more difficult. <laughs> I was a pastor's kid. What can I say? No, but we, uh, I'm glad for the time that we, we, I was glad we were able to meet. I, when I went to college, uh, it's about 70 miles from my home. And uh, I, you know, I was not only a PK, I was, I was a saved PK. And I was looking for a church, so I found this church nearby within our denomination that I was a part of. And I can remember going there. I'd been there in the spring as a part of a 
this young people's event, Connie was talking about that young people's group, and I was there, and I was kind of a, a chaperone, kind of a date for this, this girl, because I had a friend whose sister was on staff there. She had Bill and I come out, and we dated a couple of girls for this, uh, wasn't really, we didn't go out on a date, it was part of a dinner, right, Connie? Yeah. Anyway, so when I came back several months later to go to university, Sharon saw me, and I was sitting by myself, probably about, what, 400 people in the church, and, and she saw me sit by myself, and she says, well, come over and sit by me and my friend. So I did. And so there was me and Sharon and Connie. And I'm going like, oh, something happened. I'm just saying something happened. And no, it was, a, it was a fundamental, there was a thing going on in here. And I thought, you know, I think I'm in love, but I don't, I don't know who this is. But, so I tried to see her, and, and Sharon, I think she liked me. You know, I'd lean forward, she'd lean forward, I'd lean back, she'd lean back. Man. I know, and I thought, you know, this service, Jesus could come before the end of the service, and I won't get a chance to really see if this is the one, right? So I, I reached out to pretend to, you know, tie my shoes. I did not have laces, so I don't think Sharon caught on. Anyway, Connie did. So I thought, ah, oh, yeah, there's something. Yeah, I need to know this person. So, so Connie, several weeks later, we started going to the same, we were at the same university, uh, as well as the University of California, as well as the church. And um, she approached me one day in the foyer. By the way, I, I, I grew up in church. I went to, we went to church four times on Sunday. I'm just saying, right? Sunday school, church, youth group, evening service, midweek, prayer meeting, and, and then the youth activities. So um, I already had time for school and life in general. But, but So I was used to going to church, but I got really faithful. <laughs> I mean, I was volunteering for extra stuff, you know. <laughs> And it's just, anyway, she came to me one day in the foyer, and she goes, "Jim, how would you like to get together?" And, and here's I, this is one of this is my favorite favorite sentences in my whole life. She goes, "How would you like to get together at the university each week and talk about the demands that university life makes on our faith?" And so on the outside, I said, "That'd be great. I think I could use that." Be, yeah, let's do. Where do you want to meet? When? On the inside, I'm going, <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> now that I'm in. Anyway, uh, the relationship developed from there, and um, we transferred over. She transferred to UCLA when I went home to go start in Bible college, and finally came with me, and, and we've been together ever since. So it's been a good thing. So I'm, I'm grateful for church. <laughs> I tell people, I tell young people in Indonesia all the time, they got a lot of young people in Indonesia, 260 million people. Uh, I tell them all the time it's youth groups, not that I speak a lot for youth groups there, but not so much here in the States, but over there. And I tell them, church is a good place, you know. Go to youth camps if you have to, but find a wife, you know, in the, in the church. And they do that a lot. They emphasize that a lot because of the fact that the uh, Islam is such an approaching thing that they, are, they try to convert by any way they can to get, you know, to diminish the, the Christian population. So Daryl was there with me. We had a good time ministering together. And in August, uh, excuse me, in September, we're going to go together to Kazakhstan. Kazakhstan is in Central Asia. Don't mean to insult anybody, but I just let you know it's in Central Asia, and it's uh, it's got it's kind of a bad neighborhood. Russia, China, Afghanistan. That's the neighborhood that they're in. And there's uh, five stans that are part of Central Asia, unless you can include Afghanistan. And so I've been to. to uh, Tajikistan and to Kazakhstan. There's also Turkmenistan, Uzbekistan, and Kyrgyzstan. 
those five countries, about 80 million people. And there's a work there that's, uh, that I, I spoke there five or six years ago. There's a church there that happens to be with our denomination, with Foursquare. I am not, I'm, we're ordained with our denomination, we keep our credentials current. Um, but I, we're not under official, for 20 years we've had our own ministry, we call it Breakthrough Cross-Cultural Services. So we're uh, starting our second 20 years. By the way, just to take a sidebar there on that, um, I was praying about a 2020 vision. The Lord put it on my heart to do that. So I'm thinking like the year 2020. That makes, that makes sense, right? We're moving along in 2019. Schedule's pretty set for the rest of the year. And I started praying about 2020, and the Lord says, no, no I mean 2020 vision. So August 24th, we finished 20 years of ministry with Breakthrough that we started. Um, and we kept in fellowship with our denomination. That's where I have my roots and friends and so forth. Uh, and accountability if I need it. So, but I try not to need it because... <laughs> what? You're going to tell me what to do? I don't think so. Anyway, we're, uh, we're related to them. And, and that, so 20 years coming up, the next 20 years. So someone said, well, are you going to be here when you're 91? I said, I have no idea. I want to be. I haven't reached Apostle Paul's thing where, you know, to part be the Lord is better. I'm, yeah, I'm still kind of wanting to be here. But uh, 91, I don't know, unless I'm a real pain to people around me at 91. And I've known some 91-year-olds that are real pains. I don't want to be one of those. But in our HOA, in our homeowners association, we have a 94-year-old fighter pilot who loves Jesus. And I met him when I was 69 and he was 92. I said, Bill, I want to be able to talk to somebody who's 69 when I'm 92. How do I get there? And he, he had some answers for me. So we're going after this next 2020 vision. I'm excited about that. So that's going to kick off. Daryl and I are going to, you're going to help me start the next 20 years, buddy. Appreciate that. Now, of course, I forgot where I was in the story. Um, Doesn't matter. All right. Anyway, say what? Preach the word. It was your idea to bring her. Here she is telling me. Yeah, I'll get back to that later, maybe. Anyway, I'd like you to open your Bibles to Mark chapter 2. I want to read a passage here about one of the encounters that Jesus had. Uh, with a, with a, an individual that was brought to him. Now, <clears throat> you know, I, Jesus came, we know, right, to be the Savior of the world. Before you get out of the first four chapters of John, John's Gospel, there's three distinct references to the fact that Jesus came, his mission was to save the world. Remember, there's a time where John the Baptist saw him coming, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God, who what? Takes away the sins of the, the world. And then, so that's, what, that's the first time, John 3 where it's recorded in John 3, where Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus. One man. And you see the Lord with individuals a lot. So here he is with one man, Nicodemus, and, and he says what I think is easily the most important thing in the Bible. John 3.16, we know it as, right? Um, it wasn't that when he spoke it, right? But anyway, John 3.16, For God so loved the world. We know that verse, don't we? You say it with me? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Verse 17. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So here's Jesus saying a pretty significant thing, but just a one guy. I'm thinking he might have known John somehow, and so that word gets out eventually. But there's, there's two references uh, in the opening chapters of John's Gospel. Then in chapter 4, uh, Jesus is uh, going to through Samaria. The Jews and Samaritans have no dealings with each other. They hated each other. Samaritans kind of half-breeds, different culture, different religion. And, and he's a man, she's a woman, and all. There's just, this conversation in the natural should not have happened, would not have happened. 
fact, the disciples themselves were surprised when they went to get lunch that he was, he came back and he was, they came back and he was talking to her. She eventually there came to, came to him and with about 30 seconds of uh, training she, in evangelism, she went to the village and got some friends. They came back, they were saved. And then they asked Jesus to stay. He did for a couple of days and even more came to him. And so here's this uh, little movement going on in the city of Sychar, the village of Sychar, that started the conversation of one woman with one woman. Again, Jesus' emphasis on being with one person. But in that context, when they said at the end of that, before uh, that section closes, they said, now we know for sure, this is the, the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One, what else? the Savior of the world. So three references in the first four chapters of John, we know why he came. It's very clear uh, from the Lord's own mouth and from his forerunner, John the Baptist, that he came to be the Savior of the world. That said, then we might want to look at how he went about doing that, right? How that's got to look like something. So if you're the Savior of the world, it's theologically true, but practically speaking, what does that look like? How did Jesus go about unpacking that? He spent a lot of time with individuals. Individuals. Person, it's like, that doesn't make any sense, in a way. You know, if I was his advisor, I would have gotten really in trouble on this one. Kind of like Peter, you know, get behind me, Satan. I think uh, it's easy to have in, the, in mind the ideas of men, isn't it? And I don't think the Lord faults us for that. Peter still got to be an apostle and everything. But, but it is true that we sometimes don't think the way he thinks, right? Maybe you do here in Nebraska. About in Arizona, it's polluted. And we, but honestly, you know what I'm saying? We don't, it, so I'm thinking like, well, you know what, if... If, if you're to be the savior of the world, then um, never spend time with individuals or small groups. At least a couple, two or three hundred. In fact, I'm thinking 5,000. So you stay here in Capernaum and your headquarters and we'll go up on the hill. We'll get 5,000 people together. Then come and speak. That's John chapter 5. Or 6. John chapter 6. But before we get to John 6, there's 3, 4, and 5. He's talking to four different individuals. And they're having breakthrough encounters with him. Now listen, I think it's important for us to see this. That, uh, you know, and, and you remember, the world was a lot smaller then, but he was the only one that was doing it. So he was also evangelistically challenged every bit as much as the church is today. And by the way, the church, you know, I think we're totally underestimated who we are, what our real identity on the world is. You know, the Bible says that he has been exalted by the Father to be King of Kings, Lord of Lords, right? He is the head of over all the whole universe, over everything that was and is to come. Right? And in Ephesians it says he's at that exalted position for the church. So his exalted position is for our benefit. It has a lot to do with us. So we're not some sidebar to society. We're right front, we're in the center of, of what God wants to do on the planet. Amen? Amen? And he's building his church and we're a part of that whole thing. So, now, in the case of... Um, of Nicodemus, he came to Jesus. In the case of the woman at the well, he went to her. In Mark chapter 2, somebody brought this person to Jesus. And in my experience over the last uh, 200 years of ministry, now it's been a while since we've been at this whole thing, and in my experience, that's pretty much the same as it is today. People that come to Christ, you hear their testimony, and they were like lost in sin, they were out there and, and they saw a light, in the Muslim world, there's all kinds of Muslims. That, I mean, I mean, dozens. And I, I've heard the personal testimony, Connie and I have many, who they came to Christ because they had a dream or a vision where an angel of the Lord appeared to them, or in some cases, Jesus himself. He identified himself as Jesus. I knew one Muslim guy that came to Christ, 
And the Lord appeared to him, and he said, I am Jesus. I'm the one that you're seeking. Give your life to me. So he went to the international church. He was in Kuwait. And I had a friend there who was a team leader there. And he went to the church. He said, he said, I had no idea how to give my life to Jesus. So he became a believer. And when I came to, to Egypt for the first time, the minister, he was my interpreter. The first interpreter I had in a house church in Egypt was this man. And, and so he came because, because Jesus came to him. The third way people come to Christ is that somebody brings them. Somebody brings them. And so this example here out of Mark 2 is one of those examples where, where this man is brought uh, to the Lord. And there's an obviously physical reason. He's, he's lame. He can't get there himself. And we know this story. <clears throat> I don't know if you grew up in church like I did, but uh, I can remember drawing this. My, my drawings, they only put my drawing on the board because my dad was the pastor. It was not for the quality of the drawing. But uh, we all drew, you know, the bed and four, a guy laying on there, four people on each corner. <laughs> and they're carrying him, and then the, the roof, and down through the roof. Let's read it. Mark chapter 2. And again he entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. Immediately many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door, and he preached the word to them. Then they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. And some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their their hearts, Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, Why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Arise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, Arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. Immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went out in the presence of them all, so that all were amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. Now I'm just going to give you the end game for me in this passage right up front right now. That's, that's really what I want to hear in my neighborhood. I want to hear people say, because of something that God does, in, in, a, in a breakthrough encounter between him, with himself and another person, I want to hear my neighbors say, we never saw anything like this. Now, it's going to be a little harder for me than it is in your neighborhood, because uh, in my neighborhood, uh, if it was a church, it kind of would be in the youth group. Uh, we have a pretty old neighborhood. We've been 55 and above. And one of our daughters said, Daddy, you and Mommy live where the old people live. How perfect for you. So we're there. And, um, but, there's, but there are people, and God has given us a way. To, uh, I've already told you about the 94-year-old fighter pilot. Uh, I have a relationship with that man. I, I see him regularly. Uh, we pray together. Um, I've met his family. Uh, they have my number to call in case they can't get there. If there's an issue, because at 94, and his wife's 92, there's issues, maybe. But there's, there's, the Lord has really put us in that, and I'm the president of our homeowners association now. And so I'm in their homes. I know these people. And it's like, I don't wait till they get to Indonesia. I'm just saying you know, we got people that, it matters everywhere, doesn't it? And it's like, okay, so here we are. And, and I want to hear, I want to hear people say it in, in Almaty, Kazakhstan, Darrell, that we never saw anything like this. 
And, and, not that, and you know what? I don't have to be the one that's part doing it. I just want to watch. If I'm just there and I'm seeing it, if I'm one of the ones that I'm saying, I never saw anything like this. That'd be great with me. So here I have this story then. And let me just you know, set the context a little bit, and we'll look at the, the healing, and I think four or five lessons we can draw from this uh, tonight. And again, he entered Capernaum. So the Lord, uh, this is the very beginning of his ministry, right? Mark chapter 2. All we, all, we've only had Mark chapter 1. So there's not been a whole lot of his ministry yet. He's, he's done his first little missionary journey up in the northern Galilee area. Um, we know that he's, he, there are a lot of people who were, were healed and, uh, and, and, and freed from demonic powers. So it's kind of a summary statement that comes there uh, that Mark writes for us, um, you know, in the last couple of verses of chapter 1. Prior to that, there's three healings that are mentioned. There's a, a demon-possessed man that is, is delivered. There's a man with a leprosy that is healed. And Peter's mother-in-law is healed of a fever. So those three specific uh, breakthrough encounters with these individuals are, are mentioned there. And now we get to, he's back. He's gone from his, his, his trip. He's back to Capernaum. And we know that prior to this, he had moved the headquarters for his, uh, his ministry from Nazareth up in the mountains uh, to a more accessible place down on a crossroads, really, of highways down in the north, sort of east corner, the north of the Sea of Galilee. And so coming up through the north, the, the south of the north, and the east to west, going into the Decapolis, the Gentile places, that's right where he was. Capernaum was a well-trafficked area. And so the Lord uh, came there, and so he had already established his ministry there, and they heard that he was back from his first little missionary journey, and he said he was in the house. There's all kinds of discussion on whose house, really. But, you know, the, the, when you go to, the, if you're there, if you ever go to Capernaum, they'll tell you that most people think it was Peter's house, but I'm okay with not knowing. So they came to the house, and, and we see the um, dedication of these guys right away. And but the, the thing I want, actually, look at verse 2. Because there's no room, not even near the door, it says he preached the word to them. Now, you know, I've heard some really good preachers, I'm just saying. And, um, and I'm glad I live in the 21st century. This is the 21st century, right? Okay. I also live in the 20th century, but I'm glad to live in the 21st century. Uh, but if I could live another, some other time, I would have liked to have lived then. And one of the reasons I would have liked to have lived then, I would have really liked to hear Jesus preach. Are you kidding me? I mean, I've heard some anointed preachers, but the anointed one preaching? Come on. It's like, he was preaching. And so the general context is, he's just back in the house from his missionary journey. The specific context is, he's preaching. And so it, it, the way I read this, it, it's the way I want to read it. I mean, I think it's probably true. But anyway, I, I see him as preaching when they did this. Which to me makes it okay to interrupt a sermon if you need somebody to be healed or delivered, right? Anyway. So they came bringing this guy, four, four men carrying him, and it says that they, they broke through. So I, I kind of titled this message, Through the Roof. But going the other way, right? Through the Roof. So this guy is lowered down through the roof, and, and right into the presence, it says here, right into um, right to where he was preaching. And it says that when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. So here's, here's the thing. <coughs> You see, these guys, they really, we're, we're going to get them right in front of Jesus. Now, to me, if they're in Capernaum, um, and whosoever house it is, um, this is not probably where Jesus was staying, maybe, I don't know, but he's going to leave sooner or later, right? And so you could have left the guy out by the front door, right? 
I mean, where's he going to go? He's lame. Right? He's going to be there when Jesus leaves. Um, but no, no, we're going to, the decision was to get him right in front of Jesus. And I mean, you've got to admit, this is, this is kind of like maximum effort, right? They didn't just say, excuse me, excuse me, and, and pass him through over the heads of people sitting there. No, we're, we're going to get him. It's our job. We started this thing. We're going to bring him right into the presence of Jesus. So that Jesus calls faith. Right? Because faith is otherwise invisible unless we see how it works out. And then so there's got to be worked out. So here it is. Here's the, the, the expression of faith that is seen by the activity, not just of them bringing him to the Lord, but, but making sure Jesus saw him and stopped whatever else he was doing to take care of their buddy. Right? Now, you can imagine if, if um, there would have been faith, even if these guys had been talking, having whatever they drink in first century Capernaum, tea or cranberry juice or whatever there, if they were drinking tea there and they said, you know what, Jesus is back, he's in the house, and I heard he's, he's preaching and there's a big crowd there, but, but uh, we know some people are going to get healed and we really want to see this guy healed. I mean, this guy, Jesus could heal him. And all four of them agree Jesus could heal him. And then they just say, yeah, well, you want some more tea? I mean, so they believe that he could heal him, but they don't really do anything to sort of test that or to actually to make it happen. But they chose not. No, we're going to do this. And brother and sister, I think there's times where we're challenged in our faith, and I think we just, and it, it, it's got to look like something. You know, if we say that we love our wives, guys, or we love our wives, or our husbands, or our kids, or whatever, it's got to look like something. And so, if you say, well, does, you know, does your husband love you? Yeah, he loves me. Well, well what does that look like? You know, you're going to have some things you can say about that. More than just, well, he's been here for 50 years, right? I mean, <laughs> right. What else could you conclude, right? No, it's got, to be, it's got to look like something. And so faith has to look like something if it's going to be really faith. Jesus saw their faith by the fact that they were not content just to get him close. But no, our, we're, they decided somehow we're going to get him right in and interrupt whatever Christ is doing. And so they did. I don't think, though, that they expected the Lord to say, Son, your sins are forgiven. I don't think that's, that's not why they brought him, I don't think. Because they didn't say we're going to bring this sinner to Jesus because he's a really bad sinner. They said, no, he's lame, we're going to take him there. So it was obviously about the healing that they brought him. But the first thing Jesus did was to forgive his sins. Now, I like this whole thing that happens with the, with the Pharisees, with these leaders, these spiritual leaders. It's called the scribes in New King James. What is it called in the New King James or whatever you're reading? Scribe? Scribes? Okay. So these are, these are religious teachers and leaders, and um, this is early on in the ministry of Jesus, and this is kind of one of the first times we see this group beginning to kind of go with him. And so they're going to start traveling with him. We see him throughout his ministry. Healing's going on, teaching whatever. He's in the temple area. There's, there's a group of Pharisees there, religious leaders there. And a part of their, their idea being, for being there was to find something where he uh, spoke badly toward Moses or the law or whatever, find a reason to accuse him that they might kill him, which, of course, from their perspective, they eventually did. But toward the beginning now, it's just starting to happen. And, and the interesting thing to me is, if you see this, and there's an example where, where this man, another example where somebody came, was brought to Jesus, where this man who had a, a, a boy who was even possessed from, from childhood, and he brought him to Jesus, and, and there, the Pharisees were there. The religious leaders were there. And in that case, too, as well as here, there was a conversation Jesus had with these men. So I think it's important to, 
to, he didn't shield the disciples from those guys when, that, when they came, uh, when this man came with his son. He, he, he let the Pharisees were arguing. He didn't shield the guys. He just started talking to the, to the religious leaders. So we don't see Jesus disgusted or, or ignoring them. He, he understood. Now, sometimes it's pretty stern. I mean, when you call somebody a whited sepulcher, that's pretty strong. But, uh, but basically, in this context, there's a, there's a, it's, you could say he's kind of keeping the dialogue going. I think it's really important that we keep the dialogue going with the world. We've got to find a way to talk to people that don't know Christ. I'm not saying you have to go on vacation with them. But Jesus was called a friend of sinners. Not, not because they were his best buds, but because they, were, they felt comfortable around him. And they knew that he accepted them. Like he said to the woman taken in adultery, where are your accusers? They had all left. He said, well, neither do I condemn you. But what? Go and sin no more. So Jesus deals with the sin, but he, he didn't condemn her. Because remember, we read John 3.17, right? Or spoke it. Right? He didn't come to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. So, so there's a Zacchaeus. He pulled out of a tree. There was obviously a connection there that Zacchaeus, although he was unpopular, right? And hated in his community and so forth. There was, so, Jesus, I'm going to go to your house. Well, he probably hadn't heard that in years, right? From anybody that mattered to him. And so there is this... Um, there's this connection that, that happens. And, and so anyway, your sins are forgiven, he says. Um, now, the, the Pharisees are all upset about this. And, and again, as I said, these other instances, they're, they're, they're doing that, opposing him. But he dialogues with them. He doesn't, he doesn't ignore them or, you know, burn them up. Before. <laughs> he, just, he talks to them. And I, I, I love the, how this whole way it happens unfolds here. Why do you reason about these things within your hearts? He didn't need to hear him say it. Right? Is that cheating? <laughs> I mean, it's the Lord, right? They, they, again, but in fairness to them, they didn't really know who he was. Early on in his ministry, and, and, and in time, they heard what he claimed to be, and they saw these things. And, and even then, we shouldn't say that they're, they're always going to oppose, even though they, they, were part, they were responsible for his crucifixion. Because we know that thousands of priests became obedient to the faith. It's, it's very likely many of these guys here and this came to Christ later, maybe even after his death and resurrection. So, you know, Nicodemus came to the Lord. So I'm just saying, there was a lot of people that came to him out of this, but, but, but at this time, they're, these are, they're very opposing him. But in fairness, they didn't really know who he was. And so, well, who can forgive sins but God alone? Exactly. And so when he does this, he says, forgive sins, that's got to put this thought in the minds of everybody. The people that are witnessing this and the Pharisees, the leaders themselves, wow, well, so he's saying he's God. Do you think he's God? I don't know. Let's go see him the next time he speaks, right? So I think there started this kind of a dynamic interaction with Jesus uh, based on the fact that they, they said, nope, you can't forgive sins unless you're God. And he says, I forgive your sins. And so there was this whole thing that got blown up in their minds in terms of who this man might be. The thing that really gets this kind of funny out of this to me is like he says, which is easier? To forgive sins or heal? Well, let's see. I think they're both impossible. <laughs> right? I can't do either. Right? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And, and who could heal this paralytic? Jesus was going to do this. And so, so, which is easier is kind of a, you know, what kind of a question is that? It's, it's, it, it shows that I, in fact, the healing then becomes kind of a, a proof of, or, of the fact that he can forgive sins. Yeah, for your sins, and I can heal. 
So I would say these are two very difficult things, right? You've got your banners here, Savior and Healer, right? We're not confused about that, right? It's Jesus that does that, right? So these guys did what they could do, and that released Jesus to do what he could do. And you've got to agree with me, don't you, that he, does, he did the heavy lifting here? I mean, now, I don't know how heavy this guy was, but... And can you imagine how, how unglorious that ministry was? Yeah, so, say, well, how did you... What did you do for God today? Well, I brought a lame man to Jesus, and Jesus healed him. Wow, so you... Yeah, how'd you do that? You carried him? No, no, I was... There were three other guys. I was on the back left, on the passenger side... Right? Um, so that doesn't very, sound very exciting. And I think a lot of times ministry doesn't sound very exciting. And I know that we, Connie and I have enjoyed, we, we, we're so over-blessed. I mean, it's way beyond what I deserve. And you agree with me, right? I was born in Kansas, after all. And, uh, but it's like, it's, just, it's such a privilege uh, to what the Lord has, has allowed us to be a part of. But, but I'm... Anyway, what was I saying? Help me out here. I'm just being honest. Oh, there you go. Thank you. Thank you. Was anybody else? I'm surprised this has only happened once today, but uh, it's not age. It's not, I did this when I was 10. Maybe not. But... But the, when I go to when I go to Indonesia, there's been some great things that have happened in, in different places. In Kazakhstan, I'll tell you the story when I finish here in a minute about a guy that came to Christ there. But a lot of it is, you know, I got a headache, you know, or I, I, I said I was nice to somebody at checkout. I mean, you know, I mean, a lot of it's just like stuff. You know, you just live and you breathe, and you just there's a lot of stuff in between. We, when I give a highlights from a trip, those pretty much are those are the best things that happen. Yeah, they're called highlights for a reason. All the rest of it are low. Right? These are the highlights. So a lot of it is it's not always it doesn't have to be spectacular. But I think the thing is to stay in motion and, and do what you're what's in front of you. I mean, these guys could have done a lot of other things that day, but what they did was very significant, right, for this individual. And so I think sometimes it's just a matter of doing what we can do. You take somebody to the hospital. You know, you take somebody to see a doctor, you give them a ride somewhere, or you, or you visit them, I mean, in a hospital, or whatever. You just, and it's just you pray for them, whatever, you move on. And you don't know the impact and all the, the whole chain reacts. Sometimes you do, but you don't always do that, know that. So I'm just wanna, I just think in the ordinary things of life, brother and sister, I don't think we need to change our personalities, um, our, our addresses, our jobs, our, our interests, and what we'd like to do on vacation. I don't think we could change any of that. Just understand in that context, I think this is where Jesus wants to move. It, you know, I think sometimes when we, uh, we, we can separate uh, life from church, you know, um, I grew up in the church, and, and uh, I kind of know how to do church. But, but I come to the Lord frequently, often, and say, Lord, I want everything I'm doing to be real. <laughs> And when I'm in Hebrew tonight, I want, to, I want it to be real. I want to, I want to hear from you. I want to really know that you're wanting to say something to us, Lord. I, I, don't, I don't want to just do a sermon, right? And it's the way everything. I, just, I think sometimes we, we, can, uh, we can do church, right? We can get, we know what to do. But don't you want it to be real, right? Don't you want it to be from your heart 
We want that, don't we? And it's not that hard, actually. It's not really that hard. But I think it does take, a, sometimes, at least for me, a conscious thing where I'm saying, Lord, I, I really, really want to be in touch with you. I really do want to hear you. I really want you, this to be from my heart. And, and authentic and not just practiced. Right? Come on, we have habits, don't we? Really. You know, it's like, how hard is it to drink a glass of water? I mean, it's not that hard. So we get, there's things we do habitually, but Lord, I want this to be something. Even if I do it every day of my life, make this prayer authentic, right? Lord, make this time of reading the scripture real. Lord, make my encounter with this certain person uh, something that you could use for, for your glory. So it might be helpful if you just, I don't know if you keep a calendar or not. Um, I'm kind of Arab, Arab in my style of life. I just kind of like the flow, you know, and Connie says, oh, you got this, oh, yeah, I have a calendar, but it's not real detailed, yeah, it's not, yeah, no, I need paper, brother, I, 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 I can't, I, I have to have paper, but it's like, uh, I just, I write very sketchy, very general, I, I don't miss appointments, but I try not to make very many either, uh, but seriously, to, to look through your day planner, people actually have day planners here, I know, where I live, those people actually have day planners where, Hours things are set up. Well, who are you seeing that day? Who are you talking to? Can you talk to the Lord about some kind of an encounter that they might need with him that you can be a part of? Now, it says that uh, the Lord dismissed the guy, and he wasn't interested in this guy, I don't think, in any of the theology or whatever was going on. He just, uh, he was not going to be a part of the debate. Is this, is this guy God or not, right, son of God or not? He just, he's, he's probably the happiest guy in the city, at least, right, if not the planet. And though he just did what the Lord told him. Take up your bed and walk. So somehow he made his way out. So the very fact that probably wasn't very easy to do because, remember, it's very crowded. But um, I thought, why would the Lord do that? And I, I think it's because everybody knew how he got in. Right? But he didn't go out the same way he came in. <laughs> right? and, and he came in on that bed through the roof and he's walking out with it over his shoulder, I presume, and walking out. Everybody saw that. And what they say is, so they were all amazed and glorified God saying, uh, we never saw anything like this. Now, if you say amazed, um, amazed is, I'm not going to call it an emotional. I think it's something from deeper than that. It's just the soul, right? It's, it's, it is emotional, but it, to be amazed, you don't say, well, that was amazing. Were you amazed? Oh, yeah. I almost raised my eyebrows on that one. No, to be amazed... I think there was probably some spontaneous noise going on here, right? There was, uh, they were amazed and glorified God. And so glorified God, what, in their hearts? No, they said stuff. I mean, it had to be like, praise the Lord, or did you see that? Or, wow, that's one. There was those kinds of expressions, even in the vernacular, or some kind of religious expression of, of giving thanks to God. Hallelujah, probably, there were several of those, right? To be amazed and glorify God, that's, that's something. You know, that, that, there was a, a definite thing going on, and on all of this, kind of just registers on top of the discussion on whether he could forgive sins or not, and then the healing itself. This was a huge, huge day in, in, for the people who lived in Capernaum. And I'm sure this had reper repercussions, repercussions in their families and from there. And especially, I would have liked to have been seen this guy once he hit the road, right? I wonder if he's, surely he just didn't go home and sit down. I'm pretty sure he, right? Make him an evangelist or something, but so... We never saw anything like this. I want to hear. I would love to hear that, and the Kelron HOA in Sun City, Arizona.
years ago I was in, in Kazakhstan. I was just close with this, this story. And I, I can't remember uh, what the passage was I was teaching on. There's, there's nine, there's, I've told nine of the of times where nine individuals where the Lord had a birthday, had a birthday encounter with the Lord. And uh, I've, taught, I've taught them all. Um, and um, I really want to say, oh yeah. So I was speaking at this church in Kazakhstan, in Almaty. Now, it's called Joy Church. And we're in a, in a Muslim-dominated country. But there were, there's probably since perestroika in, in, 19, in 1990, the Soviet Union falling apart, there, um, there are a lot of people who came to Christ early on, the first early 90s. And so now these guys are all, men and women are all in leadership. They've, 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 they're pastoring in their 40s and their 50s. And there's a... Um, they have, a, they have a church of about 200 people uh, that meets in the Russian language. And they have about 75 to 100 that meets in the Kazakh language. I also spoke to an Uzbek group. So they have all these different languages going on. So I'm speaking in the, in the Russian language service. We've been a mixture of Russians and Kazakhs and Germans and Koreans. And it's a very, very cosmopolitan area. And so I, I talked about the, the kind of the emphasis I felt led by the Holy Spirit was at the end of a message, it's like this, it, it fits here, but it was not this passage, where I said, you know, we need to keep the conversation going with the world. We need to keep the conversation going. So not just do our spiritual things, or what we, we just need to put everything about us in Christ back, you know, we need that, that, that needs to be in our life. It's, it's our life we're talking about here. And so I said, just, just keep the conversation going with the world. Don't just find a way to talk to a non-believer, you know. And so I talked about, you know, starting a conversation. So Tomas, Tomas, Tomasov, the pastor there, he, um, he got up when I, I finished preaching. And he said, you know, I want to have a conversation with somebody. I want to do what Pastor Jim just said. Is there anyone here who wants to receive Christ? That you come forward, you'd have a conversation with me about that. And this guy gets up from the back. And uh, about a 35-year-old or so uh, Russian, uh, Kazakh, comes forward, and so we're all sitting there. There's 200 of us sitting there. I'm there in the front row. I'm watching this, and they're having this conversation. Not in English. Back and forth. And um, the guy next to me was interpreting a little bit for me. So he said, so, what's your name? Yeah, first time here. Yeah, first time here. Well, so you heard what, this, what Pastor was talking about, talking about conversing about the Lord. He said, so who brought you? Or did you come on your own? Oh, that guy back there. He's a part of the church. He brought me. Oh, you had a friend, a friend that brought you here. Well, so what were you expecting? And, and he starts going on like that. He said, well, so listen, do you believe that Jesus wants to have an encounter with you? Do you, do you, you, know, you believe that he's, he's the Savior and he could be your Savior? Would you want to receive him? So he's going on and on like this. And so we're standing there. They had this, you know, I said, have a conversation with somebody in the world. And he illustrates this. And the guy received the Lord. Now, I, Darryl, I, hope he, I hope he's there. We're there. I want to meet this guy. And I've never asked about him, actually, but... Uh, you see, the Lord knew that guy was going to be there that morning. He knew his friend was going to bring him. He knew about the message, and, and, and there's that connection. Brother and sister, um, the world needs us. The world needs a spirit-filled church. The, the church needs a spirit-filled church. <laughs> but the world needs us. And by, by, in this sense, I'm saying spirit-filled in the sense that, that we're sensitive to the Lord, and, and we actually desire to be a part of a breakthrough encounter that somebody has with Christ. I've got to tell you, that was worth way more than the price of the ticket getting over there. Just to, I, I, 
I was like five feet away. I watched this whole thing happen as this man was born again. Pretty cool, huh? So how do you promote the idea of Jesus? How, how do we get Jesus to be the Savior of the world? Well, pretty much individual by individual. It's kind of the way it works. How'd you get saved? A whole mass of people came to Christ at the same time, right? No, Probably not, right? You felt an individual thing, didn't you? Didn't you know that Jesus was coming to you as a person, right? We all felt that. We all felt that. In fact, I've, I've had people tell me, I've come to the Lord in places where we preach, that was for me. I know that was for me. Well, there were 200 other people there. But, it was, but they sensed the personal aspect of that by the Holy Spirit. So that's the place we ought to be, don't you think? I just wonder. I just wonder, you know, what, what's going to happen um, in the next few days uh, for, for all of us in terms of who we're going to encounter and, and what Christ is able to do. I believe he can do whatever he wants to do. Amen? I believe he can save, he can heal, he can deliver. I encourage, strengthen, love. I believe Jesus can do all that. And so I'm not pressed about this. I'm not stressed about it. But I just want to walk out of my house today thinking, you know what? They have no idea that there's Holy Spirit with me coming down the street. And there may be, they may be lost in their depression or whatever else. They have no idea that Jesus is about to encounter them and change everything. I just got to do my little part. Amen? And sometimes if you're going to bring people to Christ, you've got to gang up on them. Right? It takes four of us. Yeah. Father God, thank you for this reminder of the value you place on individual lives, each one of us. We're grateful for that, Lord. We don't always do that, but you always do that. Thankful for the illustration of the story. We're going to meet this man someday, I think. But Lord, throughout the Gospels, and the Gospels continued... You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. I'm thankful, Lord, that you continue to touch individual lives. And we all have testimonies here, in fact, in that regard. But I pray, Lord God, that there would be testimonies in the days ahead where people that we know, maybe some we don't know right now, uh, have a breakthrough encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ who can do anything that they need. We give you praise that you let us be a part of that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Pastor.